Hello and welcome to Between the Mountains, where we talk about your adventure travels from backpacking to expeditions. I'm your host Chris and today we welcome TJ. We welcome him back because he did an interview with us a couple months ago, which I recommend you check out. Really interesting guy and today he comes to us as the professional skier that he is to talk about ski mountaineering in Patagonia and what an interesting session it was. I really enjoyed the time with him. We start off with some crazy anecdotes, talk about some amazing slopes, but if you do like it, hit the follow button, share it with a friend, and then let's just get straight on into it. So hello TJ, welcome to the podcast. Welcome back, I should say, actually. How are you doing today? Good. What's up? Good to see you, Chris. Um, so I say welcome back because we've actually done quite a good interview that was released uh, a couple months earlier um, so if you are listening to this and you're new or you missed it then definitely go back because TJ is a very interesting guy uh, with a lot of good experience which I, I have no doubt you'll hear about in this podcast too but um, we're not doing a normal interview today uh, we're doing a, a place interview and, and where are we going TJ? Uh, Patagonia, Argentina. Yeah so how was it for you? Uh, wow. I think overall it was an amazing trip. Uh, it was definitely very eye-opening, um, incredibly beautiful, very challenging place. I think from a, I went on a ski, a backcountry skiing and ski mountaineering trip there. And I felt it was a really challenging place to, um, to pursue those disciplines, but it was, it also, it gave back um in many ways which is uh really great and fun um so is it just the one time you went or have you been multiple times i've been multiple times but i'm probably going to talk about the first trip that i did down there i think it was the most interesting trip yeah um i mean and it was certainly like from a skiing perspective the better of all the trips that I've done down there. I've done a lot of ski trips in Argentina, like five probably. Um, but the the first trip that I ever did down there um, in Patagonia was was the best one. Um, For sure. Yeah. I think I think you said you were doing uh, van life on that trip, right? Yeah, we uh, yeah we rolled around in a van for um, the better part of like three weeks or so. <laughs> yeah, that was an experience in and itself could be a whole podcast yeah for sure um and uh, and yeah so and usually this isn't going to be a uh for, for people who listen regularly a, a home is where you park it episode i think this should be less about the van i think we focused on the van life specifically we've missed out a bunch of great detail about skiing in patagonia so yeah um i suppose a good, good place to start really is why were you there why did you go um, I actually, my girlfriend at the time was from Argentina and I was living down there with her and, um, in, you know, the Northern hemisphere, our summer, it's actually winter in, um, South America. So in order to escape the, the summer up here, I went down to Argentina to stay there for about four or five months and, um, while I was down there, a really good friend of mine, uh, Jared Akerstrom, flew out and met me in Argentina. And then we traveled to Patagonia together. Um, you know, Jared's an artist. 
um, in his profession and um, a really amazing guy, but could easily have been a professional skier and athlete had he uh, wanted to pursue that. So he was a, you know, he's such an easygoing person, was a really good um, partner for me to take on an adventure in Patagonia. And it's the first time I'd ever been to Patagonia um, on this particular trip. And then after which kind of became the impetus for several other uh, trips back. For sure. And I, I think one thing perhaps to mention again, and I keep, I, this is like a three-way conversation at the moment between listeners, you and me. But um, one thing to mention is TJ is a professional skier. So don't be shocked that he said he's escaping the summer. <laughs> um, that is something that only professional skiers, I think, would say. <laughs> That's very true. Although I like the summers a lot more now. For sure. Yeah. <laughs> so really, let's just let's just dive straight into it. Patagonia. Should we start talking about some of the highlights from that trip? Yeah. Um, I mean, it was quite an adventure. I, it, you, as soon as you get in, as soon as you land in Argentina, um, the adventure really begins. I think, you know, back in 2015, when I did this trip, um, there was a lot of weird things financially going on in Argentina where they were restricting, um, if you were to like exchange currency there, they were restricting the value at which you could exchange um, American dollars for Argentinian uh, pesos. And, and so like the, the trip really began um, for Jared and I, um, and, and for myself really, because um, Jared hadn't arrived yet, but I went to a, um, they called it, I believe they call it the blue dollar, which is like the actual value of an Argentinian peso as compared to a U.S. dollar. Not what the government says the value of the money is, what the market says the value of the money is. Um, and so you could, if you knew the right people, um, and because I was living down there at the time and it was the second uh, year that I had been living in Argentina, um, I knew the right people to ask to get in, you know, that back door. So there are people who are, you know, um, I don't know, like illegally buying dollars for the proper amount. Um, and to like have a good trip in Argentina, you want to kind of take advantage of the fact that the U.S. dollar goes really, really far there. And if you don't use the real exchange rate, um, you put yourself at a big disadvantage in terms of like letting your money take you um a lot farther than you could actually go and so you know the this story for me really begins you know going being ushered through this back room through like a steel door with a, a small little um uh, kind of like peephole that slides and somebody looks through and you know my friend was speaking to them in, in spanish and then they bring me in and it's it's a fake travel agency on the inside uh, but actually, the purpose of it was to buy American dollars at this black market rate. Uh, and I exchanged a few thousand dollars that I had in my pocket, super sketchy to walk around the streets of Argentina with with cash like that. And it was like, you know, a couple thousand dollars on, um, you know, for a three week trip is like probably more than you need in Argentina, um, especially, you know, in a van, uh, no hotels, cooking everything ourselves, basically. Um, and maybe paying for a lift ticket here and there. Um, but they just, you come out with just a stack of pesos 
and you kind of feel like a baller in that situation. But then you get back on the street and uh, you look around, it's super crowded and you're in the middle of a city and it feels really sketchy. Um, so, you know, the journey kind of starts there um, and, and Jared arrived and uh, we, we get on a bus and we've got a 17 hour bus ride across the entire country to get to um, Bariloche. Uh, San Carlos de Bariloche. It's like one of the kind of most well-known tourist destinations in Patagonia. It's in the heart of Patagonia in the Lakes District. So you've got these beautiful um, white-capped mountains all above treeline, essentially. And they're just surrounded by these like vast lakes, um, really smooth, glassy water. There's like it's so weird. It's windy up high in the mountains, but these lakes are often just super glassy, or at least when I was there. Um, so it has like this very, with high cloud cover, it's a very mystical feel. Um, and yeah, I mean, at every turn in Argentina, you, you have some kind of micro adventure. Um, and of course, you know, even getting our skis and all of our gear into a, a bus for a 17 hour, um, ride overnight bus which is nice you can sleep but that's an adventure in itself as um there are like these small cartel like gang elements to the bus situation that are a little bit sketchy where these guys who are like uh very loosely if not completely unaffiliated with this the bus service at the terminal who are handling all of your bags and putting your bags on the bus for you. And of course we've got like several thousand dollars worth of ski and mountaineering gear with us that we're about to take across the country. And we're a little uneasy about, you know, these guys who are not affiliated whatsoever, but want to charge us like 30 bucks just to put, just to take our bags and put them into a bus. Um, and that like, was a really tense experience as um, extortion, man. <laughs> it, I, essentially it was. And it was like, well, if you don't give me this money, we're just not going to put your bags on the bus and you yeah. can't. And I'm, and I'm, you know, at that point, uh, my Spanish was pretty good, but not great um, enough to communicate. But like in an intense situation, it was very easy for me to make mistakes. And um, I'm telling this guy, he, this guy is telling me, Oh, you can't, you know, get on this bus unless you give me all this money and your friend too to put these bags on the bus because they look a little bit bigger than what we're used to. And I'm like, this is like (laughs) a bunch of BS. We're going through this whole situation. Um, And I start talking to the guy like, I'm like, it's $30 uh, American. I'm like, I can't handle this. I'll just give him the money. So after we, you know, we were kind of arguing um, about it. And I say to him, um, te voy a pegar which I was like, oh, uh, I will pay you. But that actually means I'll hit you. Um, <laughs> so I was, <laughs> I wanted to say, te voy a pay, uh, pagar, pagar is to pay. Um, but I was saying, pegar, pegar. And as you can understand, like that'd be an easy mistake to make because pay, pegar, like you think that verb works, but it, it actually means to hit you. So I really irritated the guy, um, <laughs> the captain. I had to come out and calm the situation down. The there was a crowd of people around who were crying and upset because of how upset they were that this goes on in Argentina and 
tourists are being harassed. And it was like a whole ordeal. And this is like, you know, Jared had like basically just arrived to Argentina. And so we finally get on the bus and we're and we're on our way to Patagonia. Like literally like there's something at every turn on a trip like this. Um, if you let it get to you, you ruin your whole adventure. Um, but, you know, uh, kind of a long story, but a, a funny one. Yeah. Uh, so, but, you know, we finally arrive in, in Argentina, uh, in the Patagonia district of Argentina. And, um, you know, it's it's breathtaking for both Jared and I. And um, it was snowing a ton. So, like, obviously, um, we're really pumped about that because, like, good snow is often hard to find when you're when you're skiing in Argentina um, that far south, the conditions are, they can just easily rain. Um, the conditions are usually not great, um, in my experience. And often you're just chasing these, um, fleeting experiences. Um, and the trip was a lot like that. Um, as soon as we arrived, we had an adventure just trying to navigate the local bus system, um, to get to where we were uh, borrowing um, loosely renting a van from a, a guide friend of ours who um, wanted some photos and marketing stuff, you know, in exchange for us to like borrow his van for a few weeks um, at like a pretty cheap rate as opposed to like using like a real van rental service. Um, and he was trying to start a business with it. So he was like, this is perfect. Like I just retroed this van out. Um, we get there, it's raining, like snowing up high, but it's raining. And it's just like just the beginning of like pretty much rain every day for us for three weeks. It's very wet, very humid. And like, we're a little bit stressed. Um, we finally load up in this van at this guy's house. And like the, uh, you know, the I think the silver lining in, in using um, Jorge's van was not that the van was great. The van was had zero insulation it basically bed and stove in it and that was it um it was really bare bones i mean you know my vw is a better van than that one and it's 33 years old um uh, <laughs> we, we load up in this thing and, and the silver lining in it in it all was uh jorge gave us a lot of really good beta on where to go skiing because being an ifmga guide and spending time in Patagonia guiding there and elsewhere in the world. Um, it really helped. It was fundamental for us being able to ski and get quality skiing in um, to have some like insider information. Um, so anybody who's, you know, gonna try to repeat or go down to Patagonia and drive around and ski. And a lot of people have, um, at this point, you know, this was five years ago, um, or six years ago, but it helps when locals help you out. And, um, however you, you know, whatever you need to do to get in, so to speak, um, will help you out. Cause like the next, the very next day we were told like to go to this local forest, um, they literally just called it El Bosque, which means the forest. Like if you're a tourist and you know what forest means in Spanish, like great. Like there's forest everywhere in Patagonia. You'd have no idea that, you know, particular zone is called the forest. Um, but, you know, the next morning we get 
and like it's raining so like oh great we like put our shoes on skis on the back boots you know we're not even in ski boots yet and we have to walk um you know through the rain and it's like kind of the climate's really interesting there it's just so humid everything is wet like every piece of foliage is just soaks you um it's one of the only places where you actually need to wear Gore-Tex um if you want to stay dry and um you know we're just both like oh man I hope the skiing is like good up here because we're walking on like a summer trail and not expecting to find any good snow at all um but we finally hit snow line and so we like take our, our tennis shoes off, put them to the side, put our ski boots on, start skinning up. And a couple hours later, I mean, we're at this um, amazing view looking over um, all of kind of the lakes district or the Bariloche kind of area. And, um, you know, we've got a foot of fresh powder up there to ski and there's nobody around and it's a beautiful wide wow not very steep so it's fun to kind of just go fast um jared like loved it i i remember that like very specifically like he was so into it the old growth trees um with a little bit of like the green kind of like mossy fur on them and um it was like nowhere else i'd ever skied um in my whole life and kind of having like the view of the lakes popping through in intermittently through the trees was really nice. Um, and we just skied that all day. It was super cool. Uh, that was kind of one of the bigger highlights of the first part of the trip, because, you know, as I mentioned before, like it was so wet. Um, so, you know, we'd have all this wet gear, we'd finish a day of skiing, we'd like have to get back down to where we left our shoes, we'd put our shoes on they'd be soaked from the walk up and sitting in the rain, oh. like tried to like put them like somewhere dry. Like it didn't matter. Everything was wet. There was no escaping it. Um, we get back to the van and like after a few days of that, like nothing's drying. Like this is really, <laughs> it's, we're trying to like cook outside, but there's like really poor ventilation. There's like zero ventilation system in the van at all. Um, so like we start, we resorted to like cooking outside the van, but we were, you know, in the rain. Um, after a while, it just became, you know, like how many sleeping bags do you have? How much down can you wear at night? Shivering every single night to sleep and waking up to these like massive quarter sized drips coming off the top of the van, <laughs> like hitting your forehead. Uh, and it just being a struggle to, to get out of bed under the, conditions um that i don't think you're really grizzing this out <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> you know i would recommend like a really good van if you guys are gonna do this um <laughs> it was really good you know and that like when it's raining down low you know it's snowing up high um so the conditions are about as good as they're gonna get especially um in patagonia where it's not often that like the lower portions of the mountain hold any snow. Um, and so we were actually particularly lucky in the year that we went that the lower mountain um, had snow where it was. Usually the forest that we were skiing pretty frequently um, was, uh, I guess, always dry. 
So it was a really lucky year. Um, I'm kind of looking through pictures on my computer right now to kind of help with my my memory. Um, but if anyone's interested, it's uh, the Sarah Lopez zone. Um, so much good skiing up there. Like you could spend a week just skiing that zone um, if you're into longer days. Uh, but, you know, like, I, I guess to move the story kind of to part part two, we spent a lot of time up there and it was really wet and we got tired of being um, really, really wet. So we decided like, hey, we've got this van, like we don't need to stay at this particular trailhead. And uh, we started checking the weather and decided that like we didn't want to ski powder anymore. We didn't care if we skied bad conditions. We wanted like um, high pressure and really dry conditions. Like we were just, we just need to dry out. Sped up. <laughs> yeah. So we got, we got in the van after a, a lot of deliberation and just trying to like figure out where the heck we were going to go because the weather is really difficult to figure out and to understand in, in Argentina, especially Patagonia. It's changing all the time. Um, we, and we ended up going really far south to like this, not, not to like the, the polar ice cap or anything to the very end of Argentina. Um, but we, we traveled maybe five or, or six or seven hours or, or so to this uh, Esquel and El Bolson, which are two areas um, south of the Lakes District of Patagonia. So it's still considered Patagonia, um, but you're out of the Lakes District. And it's much, it was much drier there. Um, Actually, as I recall, El Bolson is kind of a, like more of like a hippie tourist town. Um, it was pretty cool. We hung out there for a day and just kind of chatted. And we met some locals at the local ski hill, um, which was fun and did like a really good ski mountaineering day there. But it was still too wet. So we went farther south to Esquel, um, where we did some really great ski mountaineering. And um, I'm looking at some some pictures here from the, uh, the blog post that I, I wrote five years ago on the trip. Um, and I'm just remembering, wow, just like how crazy the, uh, the difference was between the Patagonia region and then finally like making it down to Esquel, which is like about as far south as we went on the trip. Mm. Um, but the skiing was really good there. It would snow like just a little bit overnight um which would soften up kind of a hard surface and um we just there's like road access up these mountain passes and um you could ski anything that you wanted it involved a lot of walking on dirt and um trying to like gain elevation to get to snow line which is like a can something that you're always contending with in argentina um but the access was better like these roads went farther up into the mountains um, and the van was totally good. Like driving, I'm looking at a frosty picture on a snowy road of uh, a morning in a place called La Osha, um, which is really, really far south um, from Bariloche. And it's just spectacular up there. And we skied a little bit at this local uh, resort um just to access some backcountry skiing and, and use the lifts to kind of get us usher us up to snow line which is really cool um just had a blast in that zone and mainly just spent a heck of a lot of time drying out and trying to soak up the sun um 
And after, you know, we had been in that van for like a week and a half or something at that point. And uh, we actually had, had met some people who were working at that local resort and they let us uh, go to their house and take showers and kind of like, oh, nice. which was huge. Yeah, that's, you just raised a point there. What was hygiene like when you were grizzing out in the low pressure with the rain? Was, was there any opportunity to wash or was it just? just was the rain your shower <laughs> the you know the the lakes actually we did a lot of skinny dipping in these right, lakes okay. which was you have to see these lakes for yourself i mean i've never seen lakes this clear where you're up to you know your knees in water looking down and and can see like every pebble and stone that lines the bottom of the lake with clarity they were really cold oh my god <laughs> instant you know full body numbness when you jump in there but you do what you have to do um <laughs> i like to shower so that it was hard for me it didn't take that long i i was like you know what jared i'm going in man <laughs> <laughs> but it was cool you know i when we did finally get to, uh, we went to these these guys' house and and had some mates and and had dinner and got to shower and stuff. There was, um, uh, it was so cool. We started to like really um, get the benefits of like so like Argentinian culture can be like super rough sometimes. Like as I described with um, these like guys extorting us to like put the luggage on. Um, on the uh on the on the bus and um you know having to deal with like getting you know the exchange rate that's like the right exchange rate but mm. on the black market um but like also you know there's like this amazing side of being in argentina where you get to see that there's people who like they don't have like as much luxury and privilege as we have um here in the states and like certainly they make a significantly a significant um like a significantly smaller like monthly salary in terms of their jobs um but the way that they give and welcome people into the community is is really unique that was very eye-opening to me people you know who maybe didn't have a lot to share um were willing to share whatever they had and were just interested in having conversation and sharing space um you know, allowing complete strangers to use their shower, um, you know, unsolicited, like, hey, do you, you guys want to come over? Like, sure, we'd love to. Like, it would be super interesting for us. And yeah, we, you know, hanging out with those guys was, um, was just so much fun. And like that, those parts of uh, the culture there, that giving, um, even if I don't have a lot to give, I'm going to give you what I can. Um that's so alien, though, isn't it? Like to to, I'm assuming America is very similar to the UK, where if someone saw me and said, "Hey, you want to use my shower?" I'd be thinking, "Do I call the cops or, or do I just go home?" <laughs> you know, yeah. I'd, it's such a weird. Obviously, you know, there are certain situations where 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 it may actually be a normal thing to to be offering, but it's such an alien culture. To, to hear you just would not get that in the uk just you know seeing that and offering someone to come in i know it's i mean that kind of blew my mind 
in the back, you know, in the in those moments in the back of my mind when we were meeting these this guy Kevin and and his uh, friends like who were working at the resort and we were having a beer in the lodge like after a full day of skiing and they were like doing the same thing and then like we started chatting uh in the back of my mind i was like man i hope we like you know hit it off with these guys because i would love to take a shower um, <laughs> like i would never uh you know presume to like ask somebody for that kind of favor let alone somebody i had just met at the end of the day of skiing um but like they were, they were so giving and open. And that's something that I've really experienced throughout all of my time. Um, and a lot of time that I spent in, in Argentina and South America. And that's something I try to take back with me from, you know, a trip like this. Like, um, I am incredibly fortunate and like have a, a ton of privileges. Um, and, you know, at the end of the day, like, how do I pay what those guys you know, gave to me, how do I pay that forward to other people? Um, it may not be offering necessarily someone my shower. Um, but of course, like if that ever were the situation, I would do so openly. Yeah. Um, but it can be in other ways too, or helping to, um, you know, a big, big thing that I do with my coaching and all of that is to try to help, um, move, get people to gently, find a space where they feel comfortable going on a similar adventure that I went on, whether they're like, they feel ready athletically to deal with the stresses and the demands of, of skiing like every day for three weeks in a foreign country. Um, which is, you know, that's a whole nother thing. Like that's, that's not easy to do. Um, but anyways, yeah, that was super cool. And I thought like these Southern places in Patagonia. Um, and I mean, they're not even that far South. Um, you have like El Chalten and like these other, uh, spots in, in Patagonia that are, um, just absolutely spectacular, um, that are, um, that are like, you have to go and visit. We didn't get down there on this trip. You know, we thought about it. It was still probably 14 hours of driving from where we were, but the, like this place is huge. We're talking about a, a region in the seventh largest country in the world. So it's, it's absolutely massive. Um, you can, yeah. uh, and the towns and stuff are really interesting. They're so small. It's, uh, you know, I, I live in a town uh, with 7,000 people or so here in Colorado. And, you know, this is like a city compared to where, <laughs> where we were um, really eye opening. Um, anyways, I think, you know, that was maybe a long two-parter where we started in the Lakes District and then we moved south looking for drier weather. Um, but, you know, I guess unless you want to ask a question, I'll just continue, you know, with how the, the trip unfolded from here because it's it actually things got really interesting after this point, too. Yeah, keep going. Absolutely. So, um I guess, you know, as skiers who love powder, um, we, we ended up kind of, uh, that attraction to those like fleeting, like epic, epic skiing moments, um, and deep powder snow and all of that, like the allure there, um, it teased us a little bit and we sort of kind of like gave into it and we're like, okay, let's go back to the lakes district because like, we want to ski some deep snow. We feel like we're dried out. Um, and not like that area was played out or anything. There was definitely 
um, a lot of adventuring and mountaineering to do. But like we were interested in like, you know, maybe checking out some other zones. Um, so there's a place uh, near to Bariloche and the ski center called Refugio Frey, which is, um, you know, a couple hours hike in or ski access from Bariloche, the resort that's up there in the Lakes District. Um, and it's a backcountry uh, chalet or cabin hut and it's manned. So there's usually like one or two um, Argentinian guys who are working there. They cook you dinner if you don't bring your own food. It's totally up to you and um, you can sleep there. And the unique thing about this spot, and um, I'll have to cycle to some of the, oh man, just so many good pictures in the uh, in the blog, but um, which, by the, the way, if you send me the link, I will put that in the show notes, and then anyone anyone listening on a computer or or phone, they can either click it and have a have a look through while you're talking, or whenever they're not driving or something. <laughs> awesome. So, you know, we we were feeling refreshed from, um you know, our time kind of uh, drying out there in um, Iskel and El Bolson, which are those regions a little bit farther south of Patagonia and the Lakes District, where we started off our, our journey in the van. And, um, you know, feeling refreshed and dried out, we decided, hey, we really need to go to uh, Refugio Frey, which is this, like, really classic backcountry hut. It's... Um, as I mentioned before, like it's, it's staffed. So you basically show up there with your snacks, your food for a couple of days and they cook you dinner, breakfast, uh, and you're right there, uh, amongst like the, the peaks and spires, um, that Patagonia is really known for. And it's just like these beautiful golden rocks and like the whole cirque lights up, um, in the morning light. And it's just one of the most breathtaking um, backcountry ski zones. And um, like, we just couldn't wait to get there. I mean, we really made it a point on this trip to go there because we had heard from or, and seen in some other blog posts that were written about traveling and skiing around Patagonia, that this was like a must go to spot. Um, so like we, you know, as we, uh, sort of start to venture north again back towards the lakes district um it kind of seemed like of course it was going to start raining again and all of this stuff uh because we were like leaving the dry climate of um these more southern patagonia like desert high desert areas and um you know we're back in this like moisture belt where everything's coming off the lakes and uh, we're trying to get to the to the hut, um, and we decided to use Bariloche, the ski area, as as the way to access the hut. We were told by um, our guide buddy Jorge that like it's super easy to get to the hut if you just like go to this you know coal or pass on the map from the resort, and then you can ski down and then tour up um, to the hut. We're like, oh, that sounds pretty pretty simple, right? Um, but it's snowing out the day we arrive to the resort. We take the lifts up. We get to where we need to be. We're looking at this um, topographic map, and we're like, oh, um, we can't see anything. We have no idea, like, which way to go. We kind of know like, we're headed in that general direction. 
And like through this foggy mist, all we can see is just, you know, that we're going to be traveling through something that doesn't look like no big deal. It actually looks like we'd be skinning directly across this several thousand foot long and probably four or 5,000 vertical foot avalanche path, just really, really big terrain. Um, and Horat, like the guide was like, he's like, no, that's, it's good to go. Like you'll, you'll be able to figure it out. Like you go to this small coal on the map and we're looking across, we can't see anything. And we're just like, okay, like maybe we should go ski the resort for a while because like, if we can't see anything, we're, we have no idea where we're going. Um, and this just looks huge. It looks so risky to just start skinning across. It was like perfect 38 degrees, avalanche terrain, um, fresh snow. I mean, it looked loaded up. Like there was a couple feet of fresh snow on this huge face. And we were like, no way we're going to like go that way. Um, so of course, like everything in Patagonia, it's not like as uh, um, cut and dry as the locals tell you. It's just like not so simple. And if you go in the blog um, that I wrote a couple of years ago about this, you'll see the pictures of it. And I think you'll agree with me that it doesn't look like no big deal um, to just ski across this thing to get to this coal between these two big spires and then drop into the zone where the where the hut is um you definitely need to know where you're going uh but fortunately these two kind of gung-ho local argentinian guys started coming up the ridge where we were like thinking like all right maybe we should go maybe we shouldn't like the clouds kind of started lifting and these guys up here and I started speaking to them in Spanish, telling them we're going to uh, Refugio Frey. And they're like, oh, we're going there too. We've gone there a hundred times. Why don't you just follow us? And we're just like, mm, okay, like this is probably our best option or we're going to have to ski down to the bottom of the resort and do like a four hour hike to get um, to the backcountry huts we were like no no we can't like we'll see what these guys are all about like they're gonna go across this massive slope that has no tracks in it at all and i guess we'll see how it turns out um you know this definitely felt like a really sketchy moment um and these guys kind of just you know no cares in the world just start traversing across and in like the texture of the snow was perfect. I mean, it really looked like this thing was loaded and it was just straight to the valley floor. Uh, and the, the first guy goes across and I'm like, Oh, that's, that's only like two inches of snow. That's not even what we thought it was. So it was like this kind of illusion that was happening because this, the surface of the, the way that the snow looked on the surface, it just looks so unobstructed. Um, but as these guys went across, we actually realized there wasn't really any new snow at all on that um, aspect. So we just started following them. Um, of course, with a lot of space in between everybody and you know, being very, very cautious. Um, and they're going, 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 and you'll have to look at the pictures, but we finally get to kind of the whole or the pass between these spires where you drop down into the zone where Frey is. And it was definitely not cut and dry. It involved like a pretty 
I wouldn't say it was a serious boot pack, but it was, you know, a place where you don't fall. Um, and these guys were really loose. Uh, they didn't care at all. <laughs> at all. Um, and we were much more cautious. Um, and it was pretty funny because we get to the other side and we don't really know the terrain. And these guys drop in for skiing and, and the snow is like two or three feet deep on the other side. So obviously the wind had been loading the other side up. And like we were on a much safer aspect. Um, and now we were getting into an aspect that wasn't as safe. And these guys were like falling, losing skis and equipment. We were like, oh my God, you know, like these guys have no clue what they're doing. Like we were kind of trusting them to like show us along here. Uh, but they've got no idea what's happening. We drop in and the snow's amazing. Um, like best snow that we'd skied in the whole trip, knee deep powder um nobody else around except for us and these two um these two local local guys um and uh yeah it was such an it was just amazing dropping into this valley because there's just once you're in there you realize how much ski terrain uh, is accessible from this hut and it's not just like this the prominent cirque with um all of the like i think it's called um Cerro Principal or something like that. Um, just like the, the main uh, peak that the, the area is like known for is right there. Um, accessible from, from the uh, cabin. It's just breathtaking. Uh, and after a short tour, we arrive at the cabin and, and like every line that we'd ever would want to ski in a skier's life and a skier's journey is just like has is just presented to us um in this <laughs> light and we're like tomorrow is going to be insane um you know we we have a dinner and we go to bed and we these guys were funny like nobody else showed up uh so it was really just us and these two dudes and they couldn't ski so we knew it was just us um in, we, you know, the next day we got up really early uh, and I'm looking at just like this, uh, some pictures from, from the hut and, and that morning skinning out on the lake by a uh, frozen lake that's kind of at the foot of this cabin um, with, you know, the entire cirque uh, in front of us and the sun just, oh man, it was so amazing how um, the sun just like lit everything up in this amazing kind of pink and purple alpine glow and the snow was like perfect um you know being kind of cautious about the fact that it had snowed a lot and um you know we were in unfamiliar terrain we started with some low-hanging fruit um uh, and just knocked off like one coulard after the next after the next in perfect powder for the entire day and it um Wow. I mean, just looking at these pictures, I've I've still never I probably to this day haven't ever duplicated um, a human powered skiing day quite like this one with the combination of like location, light, snow quality, um, the breadth of the entire experience and the journey that had like, you know, unfolded for us going from like being frozen and, and wet in a van to like drying out. And, and chasing um, sunny days, but like worse skiing conditions in this other zone. 
and then finally like embracing like that we needed to go back to the lakes district uh, to ski some powder and do some mountaineering and then getting to uh, the refugio fray and being the only people out there i mean we just couldn't believe it uh jared and i like we really relished the moment and looking back at the photos now i mean it is some of the best skiing i've skied everywhere pretty much in the world and this was some of the best skiing that I'd ever had. Most consistent um, in the light. Oh, my God. These pictures are just amazing. Yeah. Wow. And that was like day one there, you know. But Patagonia is tough. Uh, so we had this entire day where we were just climbing and skiing all of these amazing lines, just one after another. We're like, we might never get a day like this again in our entire lives. Like, we've got to hit everything that we can um so we skied the whole day bell to bell and finally when we got back to the to the um to refugio fray to the backcountry hut there that is at the foot of all these amazing lines all the locals started showing up they were a day late but all of a sudden there was like 12 other argentinian dudes in there playing guitars singing drinking going crazy um it was like a completely different experience we had had like you know the the whole place to ourselves and was like very serene and peaceful and like we were getting psyched up for like this big day and then the next night was like this crazy argentinian cumbia party with guitars and fernet it was just hilarious wow um yeah oh man and i'm still kind of browsing some of these pictures but we did some a good bit of steep skiing too um, so we were definitely challenged a little bit by the terrain and things like that. So it was a real highlight of the trip. Um, and we had like, you know, made a note to like go ski this other zone the next day because we, you know, we knew our, our time in the area was kind of coming to an end, but we wanted to get the most out of it. And like the snow was so good. So we were like, yes, we got to get one more or two more amazing days here. Um, but that night the wind cranked up to i don't know it was so windy and i mean like the place was packed there were people camping in tents outside it was bizarre um we wake up the next morning and it's like cloudy we start skinning out and it, you know hoping to like get to this like another amazing zone one valley over um and we were actually finding some good snow still, even though it had been windy, but then it warmed up. And it was like this combination of the wind the day before and then all this warming um, where we were like, oh, man, like we really got lucky yesterday because this, the conditions were not even close to the same. We went from like 10 out of 10 conditions, the whole place to ourselves to like 30 Argentinian dudes out skiing all the lines we skied yesterday. It was all right. We had already skied them. And then the stuff that we wanted to do just wasn't quite in um, great condition. But we we made the most of it. We skinned up and skied as close to um, like the the most prominent peak there, Cerro uh, Principal, I believe it's called, um, ah, or La Torre. I don't know. I'm looking through the blog here, and I can't quite remember the name of that peak, but. Um, if you know it, if you've been to the area or you're researching it, it's the most prominent peak in, in Bariloche. And you see it when you come in on the bus. Um, but we did, like, we got some reasonably good skiing. And, um, you know, of course, by the end of the day, the Patagonian weather was back in. We were back in the clouds. 
the wind was picking up. I just couldn't believe the variability um, and how often the, the weather changed there. It was like one day it's sunny and 10 minutes, you know, then the next day it's windy and the snow sucks um, to like literally a changing every 10 minutes. Um, and there's often that like funny joke, like, oh, if you don't like the weather, wait 10 minutes. Well, this was <laughs> truly uh, the case. Um, yeah. it, you know, and this was definitely the highlight for, for us, uh, Chris, because after that, we, we headed, uh, farther North in, um, towards San Martin, which is another really beautiful area with this like expansive lakes, just breathtaking. Um, there's no infrastructure whatsoever. So like every time we would see something on a map that was interesting to us, or, um, you know, could see something visually like through the windshield of the van. And I would be like, Jared, like, what about that? Like, do you think we can get, there's no access. Um, you know, it'd be expedition style to get to a lot of the stuff probably is worth skiing. And we were not like prepared <laughs> for an expedition. Um, you know, we were barely prepared to spend a night in that van, um, let alone to, uh, <laughs> <laughs> to go off on like a three or four day trek to try to access some of this stuff that just, it was just, uh, it was tough to find. Um, like we found a million great views and took in a whole heck of a lot of sunsets and they're great photos of the area, but the farther North we went, the more difficult we, we found it to like get good skiing in. Um, so really like the last of, of the trip was the time at uh, Refugio Frey. Um, and, and looking through the, my blog post right now, it's just like, yeah, wow. We just spent a lot of time driving around in the van, trying to find ways to get into the mountains and not having any luck. Um, it's kind yeah. of funny. You get skunked like that, but you, you end up going back and, and dreaming about returning to a place like this because, you end up a little bit attached to like the fleeting moments that you do have when things align, like the snow and the location and the people you're with. And, um, Ooh, when those things really align and like the terrain, um, is allowing you to like ski in that certain way that like really resonates with you where it's like a bit mountaineering, you've got your ice axe out and you're climbing and, and there's some consequence, but when you put your skis on, you know, you can let it flow a little bit because it's like not quite so steep that like every turn has to have like that complete precision, um, you know, like kind of that Chamonix thing. You, you have a yeah. little bit more freedom uh, in these places in Patagonia sometimes, even though they're remote. Um, but you can maybe take a little bit more risk if you want or ski a little faster, which is which is really cool. Um, yeah. And you know, like I think another highlight, but not a skiing highlight was the, like the classic, uh, Ruta, uh, Quarenta route 40. I would definitely recommend like if people are interested in like an epic drive, Oh my God, this, uh, just parallels all these beautiful lakes, takes you to San Martin and farther North. Um, absolutely breathtaking i mean there's no place like it and uh if you're not a skier you can certainly drive anywhere you want um 
but go in summer so you can find some trailheads and go for some long hikes or something. It is really hard to access good skiing there. Yeah, for sure. For sure. That sounds incredible. Uh, I mean, before we move on to any wrap-up questions, is there anything else we need to know? Are there any other hidden gems like that road <laughs> that you that you want to share with us? No, I think, you know, I honestly, I think that covers it. You know, my recommendation to people who who want to go to Patagonia or, you know, check these places out is to also spend some time in the small towns, you know, go in and get a pizza, go have a beer at an um, artisanal, um, you know, they call them like artisanal breweries there, go have a beer there, um, talk to some people if you can, like people will be curious what you're up to, especially if you're skiing um, and you might, you know, come back with some, you know, having met somebody that you, you have a lifelong friendship with now, which we did, um, where we met a lot of people at, uh, Frey on that second night that, um, we've skied with since then and have visited here in Colorado too, and vice versa. It, you know, I, if you don't take the time to, if you, if you like completely isolate yourself in the van and you don't take the time to experience the local culture, uh, some of the food, like talk to the people, drink their beers. Like they're not that bad. They're actually pretty good. It's not just Kilmes, which tastes like a really bad interpretation of Budweiser. Like <laughs> there's actually um, some really interesting things that can come from that. I have tons of stories um, and yeah, like amazing lifelong memories from from that trip in particular. And then others where I tried to find the same you know, duplicate this, that same single day of skiing that we had. I've never been able to duplicate it since anywhere, really anywhere else. Um, that was really the best is as good as it gets. Um, yeah, yeah, that's, that's all I've got. (laughs) All I've got. (laughs) We've, we've been all over Patagonia. We've been on the black market. We've we've showered at strangers houses and that's all you've got. (laughs) Well, listen, um, uh, uh, one of the first questions was, uh, did you say it was, it was Sarah Lopez, an area or Sarah Lopez. Or yeah. S- S- Lopez. You, you said it was beautiful. I just wanted to know what, what exactly was it that, that made it good? Um, I believe in my recollection, Sarah Lopez, the stuff, you know, what was really amazing about skiing there, um, again, was like these big spire zones, and these golden rocks that would like light up in the morning light. Um, that, that to me is really foreign. It's not something that we have a lot of here in Colorado. Uh, I've only maybe skied like four or five peaks in, in Colorado that like ever remind me of being in Patagonia. And these parts of Patagonia remind me of being in Chamonix, France, places in Europe. Um, they're, they're, they're so unique and um you know to me that like the uniqueness of that terrain and the kind of just the way those rocks are formed and how they you know shape these amazing lines that you can ski um and dictate to you like the athlete or the adventurer like what you can and can't do is is really interesting Mm. perfect and in the interview we did, which again I recommend listeners to go back to, because you gave some really cool answers in that. But we touched upon lessons you've learned, and you mentioned that in South America, 
are some of the big lessons that you've learned in your professional skiing career. And I was just wondering what precisely in, in Patagonia and your trip there did you learn? Uh, yeah, wow. We, I think we learned a lot about patience and resilience on that trip. Um, just bearing these awful nights in the van, cold, um, all of these long approaches where we would be stoked to the bone before we even got to, you know, any area with any skiing at all, where we could even put our ski boots on, um, you know, being resilient, being patient, kind of working with what we had at times, we were just kind of making, um, lemonade out of like lemons. I mean, we mm. literally, when we went to, uh, the South and to El Bolson and, Escal to try to dry out and escape how wet it was in the lakes district of Patagonia. I mean, we went there predominantly because like we like were losing our minds with how wet we were. Um, and, and we decided like we'll ski bad snow if it like allows us to like actually get up on a mountain and, and like explore if it allows us to move around the terrain and move through the terrain, we will do that. Um, even if it's bad snow, we skied bad snow there. We really did, but um, you know, it was sunny, it was bitter cold, but it was sunny and we met some like really cool people. And I think that like kind of brings me to the second um, big lesson of, you know, spending any time in South America is like, don't be afraid of the uh, extortion that happens at the bus terminal, like, you know, and now because uh, their president, you know, changed or, and I think this is still the case, but now, you know, you can use a credit card in Argentina and get the real exchange rate. You don't have to go into this like sketchy situation with, you know, dudes who are like, you know, totally have a front um, and it's not a travel agency and, you know, they have like machine guns and you're like really uncomfortable. Uh, and you're like wondering like exactly what's going on here. Like, why are there guns? Why is it a travel agency? But it's not. I mean, you don't have to do those things anymore. Um, although like they don't seem, they didn't seem that risky at the time. Cause I, you know, was with people I trusted. Um, I'm not sure I would go to a foreign country straight away and like try to do that ever again. Um, not without, you know, people that I really trusted uh, but those like hard situations, um, you know, we learn not to judge them uh, completely, you know, yeah. part definitely kept us guarded. Um, but mostly, you know, like Argentinians are so interesting. They have like these hard kind of faces, these rough exteriors sometimes. Um, but if you engage with them like 30 seconds later, they're like really sarcastic. Humor comes out like how personable they are. Um, so like, you just can't judge, you know, people when you travel by a glance, like you don't really know what their circumstances are, what they're going through. I mean, you know, these people quite honestly, like we're so privileged here, um, even as professional skiers, having, um, sponsorship support to go on a trip like that and to not have to pay any of our own money. I mean, like that, those kind of, um, opportunities are unfathomable for, you know, the people who are out there, um, the real journeymen of skiing and, and, and getting out in Argentina. So when you have the opportunity, engage because they want to engage with you. They're just a bit shy too. Um, and they, 
you know, they have their own way of showing that. Um, and I'm glad that like we kind of embraced some of the local culture and got to like hang out with these amazing um, people, you know, like I have friends from this trip in particular that I've had for five or six years now and who have visited me multiple times in Colorado and I've gone back and stayed with them because, um, you know, just like bonding over a mutual experience, a mutual passion for skiing and adventure and, um, you know, sharing in those moments is actually really powerful if you allow it to happen and don't like self-isolate. Yeah, for sure. Um, and also in that interview too, I t spoke to you and asked you about your trip to the Lingen Alps in Norway which oh, yeah. you described as being just so picturesque. So I wanted to know, how did Patagonia compare to the Lingen Alps in Norway? Very similar, honestly. Um, wow, I mean, they're both really different from a skiing perspective. Um, Lingen Alps, the accessibility is really good. Um, you can do a lot of skiing if you're in a van traveling around. Um, in Argentina, not necessarily. Um, but I love the, the big, like, expansive views with water and mountains. I think that's just so foreign from what we have in Colorado, um, being so landlocked here. I mean, you just never get to experience, um, you know, being on top of a mountain and looking down and literally, like, underneath your feet, there's the fjord um, or way or like stretched out in front of you are these beautiful lakes that go like far beyond what you're capable of seeing. Um, yeah. Those kind of views are breathtaking. Like you, it's hard to describe like how surreal they are. And when you first get to experience them, uh, you know, all you can really do is sit there in awe and kind of just take it in, in the best way that you can try to use all your senses. Um, it's, it's remarkable really it's so beautiful perfect and i've got two last questions so you mentioned that the van wasn't quite perfect <laughs> to, to put it politely um if you could have made one modification to it what would that be oh my god just one <laughs> just one um, that's a tough question because it's like Oh, do I insulate the van so we're warm? Or do I, you know, cut a hole in the ceiling and install a fan so there's some air circulation and we can get some of the humidity out? Um, I'm not sure. I'd have to ask Jared which one he thinks is, uh, is more important. Um, although I, the two are very related. Um, I think we could have gone far if there was a little bit of uh, circulating air and ventilation. So I would go with the ceiling fan. Um, I would, you know, something like uh, in a nice Mercedes Sprinter that you see rolling around um, here in Colorado where that air just gets recirculated and sucked out along with the moisture because those drips in the morning, I've never, I'll never ever probably experience condensation like that ever again in my life. These things are like... <laughs> balls coming off the ceiling and we'd take a chamois and wipe the you know the tin it was basically you know, it was just tin uh there's no insulation i'd reach up in the morning with the chamois and wipe it and squeeze it out and wipe it and squeeze it out and there you know you could do it for hours because <laughs> that's you you needed 100 chamois in order to get 
like any of the moisture off just collect and drip on your head while you're sleeping okay so let's flip it a different way then because you you mentioned two there so you, we've got insulation and um and circulation I think if you were to do a third one what would the third one be uh the third one it would have been renting the van from an established business where it wasn't illegal to be driving said van around <laughs> multiple provincias in argentina that was a whole nother thing that we didn't mention in the in this at all was the like amount of anxiety going between the different because we had to pass into two or three different provincias as we drove around and in argentina you can't borrow anyone's car so if i'm borrowing someone's car it's considered theft um without like this i think it's like a blue card or something um that you're that or a green card i can't remember what color it was but you have to go down to three different places and then um in the municipal and get permission written express permission from the owner of the vehicle and they can only uh give two people additional people other than themselves that permission and we thought oh this van is totally legal to rent like we're renting it from Jorge. He's a guide. Like, it's no big deal. And then we're, you know, we're heading south out of Bariloche. Um, and, of course, there's uh, there's checkpoints at every border crossing. There's very few roads in Argentina. And when you go through each uh, provincia, there's always a checkpoint. Sometimes there's two checkpoints. There's the, you know, the guys who are on that side of the provincia, and then there are the guys who are on this side checking you leave, and then the ones checking you as arrive. And, uh, you know, fortunately, like a little bit of talking, I never had to bribe anybody on this particular trip, but I had had to in previous trips um, or was being extorted um, for things like not having my lights on and all sorts of stuff like we're going to take you to jail and take your passports um having no not realizing like the van was um legally rented to us was pretty alarming every time we went through those border crossings and like somehow we we got away with it you know that was one challenge we that was an anxiety and not um it never came to fruition um but I, you know, I had like my my written out Spanish on the dashboard, like ready to go because they don't use like the word borrow in, in, in Spanish. They have some phrase to describe what it is. They don't have that verb or something. So Jorge told me what to say. And when he told me like, oh, you're going south, like just tell them you're using your friend's car and you don't have the proper paperwork. <laughs> I'm like, they'll probably let you go if you pay them off and I'm like, Oh my God, like really? Like we're going to have to do like, we're already in this like van that's not insulated, has no air circulation. We're freezing every single night. Um, you know, the only thing that kept us going, I guess was, you know, some, we didn't even drink a single beer, uh, in that van the entire trip because it was too cold and that's two skiers who like to drink beers. It made, you know, that's how, <laughs> it was if anybody wants to know too cold to drink a beer after a day of skiing <laughs> awesome well um last question is uh usually i i ask everyone what's one moment you'd relive but i'm pretty sure that first day of the R refugio fray would be a relive moment right yeah yeah absolutely. yeah so i'm going to twist it a bit would you risk going back there to relive that moment 
<laughs> I have. I have a couple times and I've never gotten it. And oh, never damn. Gotten it but I, I would go again. Absolutely. I was just talking to a friend who uh, recently was down there last um, August or September and had a day similar to mine. Uh, where he showed up and it snowed like a foot or two feet and there was nobody there and he skied every single line, uh, every couloir that was to be skied. And I was like, that was just like my day, you know? And he's like, yeah, best day of our entire trip. And I was like, that place, like sometimes if you get it, you know, if you're there uh, and the stars align, you can really have like the most epic day of skiing in your entire life. Um, so knowing that somebody else has... Uh, had a great day there and I've showed up there thinking that I was going to have a great day only for it to like rain to the top of the mountain and be like horrific, terrible snow. Um, yeah, I've either had it be terrible or be amazing. I would definitely go back. I would risk it for sure. <laughs> awesome. Well, listen, TJ, thank you so much for coming on and telling us all about ski mountaineering in Patagonia. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. That was great. Thanks, Chris. As I promised, what a fun session. That was hilarious. And I apologize for laughing at his misfortune, but I just thought his delivery of those situations was just incredible. If you enjoyed it too, then please hit the follow button, share it with a friend as well, help the podcast grow and spread the love. But otherwise, if you want to join in with the community, follow us on BTM Travel Pod on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can email me btmtravelpod at gmail.com to come on the show. But otherwise, I hope you have a brilliant day and I will see you in the next one.